welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Kirk Schneider. He's a leading spokesperson for existential humanistic and existential integrative psychotherapy. He's an adjunct faculty at Saybrook University and Teachers College at Columbia University. He's also the author of 14 books, including his most recent book, Life-Enhancing Anxiety, Key to a Sane World. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. Um, Welcome back, Kirk. Um, Thank you. We had a discussion on the prior podcast about his experience, how he came to where he was. And I wanted, I don't want to repeat that so much as go into what is existential psychology. What caught my attention, as you all know, I have learned that anxiety actually is the pain. And so... I've not seen the title Life Enhancing Anxiety. That's why I reached out and contacted him. He was kind enough to contact me back. And he wrote the book called Life Enhancing Anxiety, A Key to a Sane World. He just made some really clear statements about anxiety is not your enemy. It's a gift. It's your friend. You can use it to actually create things in life that you want to create. If you fight it, it sort of becomes a monster. So he went through his own rather difficult journey with it and now practices existential psychology. So I like to work backwards a little bit and discuss when you say existential humanistic humanistic therapy, what does that mean exactly? Well, first let me say, David, I, I would I would say anxiety is potentially a gift if, if one can learn to work with it. Right, exactly. Uh, but uh, for many people, obviously, it's very crippling, disabling. And it was for, for me for a period of time, but... Well, let me say one quick thing, which sure. I not disagree with, but actually added a different angle on it. So it's a gift in that it keeps us alive. I mean, that's true. Body we went yes. survive. So yes. it physically keeps us alive, but it doesn't allow us to emotionally thrive. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's two things here. I, I would say the signal anxiety is an evolutionary development, right. which can help us ward off danger, right? Fight or flight. Right. And that's very basic and, and yes, can certainly be a gift in situation. But um, if that's what we're carrying around continually in the absence of that danger, that's right. a real problem. Right. So there are other levels of anxiety that, as we're talking about, can be very fruitful right. um, as a life force. So as far as existential humanistic therapy, well, I, I, I like to define it in terms of two basic questions that run throughout the therapy, both implicitly and sometimes explicitly, but certainly implicitly. These questions are there through the presence of the therapist. And and those are, how are you presently living? So it affords a chance for a person to take some time and, and, and feel hopefully safe enough to begin to uh, really uh, more fully explore uh, their struggle, their battle. Uh, you know, to uh, usually there, there's a part of a person that is attempting to break through and there's part of a person that's trying to hammer them back down and, and block that, that breakthrough. And, and 
people are on sort of on a spectrum in terms of, of that battle. But, but the point is that this first question uh, th through the presence of the therapist and supporting the presence of the client enables the client to explore more fully with, with one's whole body experience to the degree possible. Uh, you know, what's, what's going on? What's really going on here? And, and part of that is sensed through the relationship with the therapist as well. Right, right. The second question on the heels of that, and it's often a later uh, uh, question that's more relevant later in the work, is not just how are you presently living, but how are you willing to live? So right. given that you're presently living like this, with this particular battle, Part of you trying to break through and liberate, and a part that's squelching constantly. How are you willing to live? And so I see uh, us existential oriented therapists as as midwives in a sense, presiding by and having skills, hopefully, to help the patient discover uh, how they're willing to live. Uh, to what degree are they? willing to live under that same battle that they've been struggling with often since childhood or for a very long time. To what degree are they willing to live in a prison, basically, a psychic prison, right? versus a more open, uh, internally free domain? Uh, that's one of the greatest gifts we can have. Uh, and I, I feel that that was, I'm so blessed that that was offered to me by my existential therapist was that greater capacity for inner freedom to experience the fuller ranges of my thoughts, feelings, body sensations, imaginings, and ultimately more you know, creativity and fuller, richer relationships with people. So, so can I ask you a couple of questions, which yes. I've been doing this for 20 years, and my biggest challenge is taking people that are trapped in pain, they're angry, frustrated, and reactive, and anxious, mm -hmm. of course, and the mental pain is as big a problem or bigger problem than the physical pain, there's multiple mm -hmm. physical symptoms, they're stressed mm -hmm. out, they're not thinking clearly, and so I found out the hard way that a lot of people have become sort of addicted to their pain, and they're serious to live in their life the way they're living it, they don't really even consider another possibility or they sort of know there's a new possibility but they're so afraid of change that they don't make that change yes. so i think you know the answer from a psychology standpoint if somebody's not really open to change there's not much you can do and if something is willing to change there's everything you can do so i'm curious to take somebody who's i'll use the word shut down they're trapped by circumstances mental pain physical pain whatever it is they're being trapped by the brain's going a thousand miles an hour it doesn't seem to be a major entry point. How do you approach that? Well, I consider myself an, an integrative existential therapist, meaning that I, I try to meet the person where they're at. Okay. And I think that's very existential. Uh, and, and, and also in terms of a person's desire and capacity for deeper change and more holistic change. And not everybody has that desire or capacity. But of course, that also has to do with my presentation to them. Right. The, the doctor, the therapist's relationship with the patient can have a lot to do with how, how 
desirous and capable a person is of fuller change in their life, as opposed to, you know, just being seduced by the quick fix, you know, which may not hold up very long. Um, right. But uh, how does that happen? So I, I really, I try, I try to build a relationship with somebody initially. I try to get to know who they are, what, where they're coming from, um, the context for their, their struggle. Um, and uh, try to sense what might be most helpful, most authentic to this relationship in this moment with this person. And sometimes it's getting through the night or getting through the week. So I might suggest something just very basic, uh, like uh, a shelter if somebody needs that, or uh, perhaps uh, considering medication, if that can be helpful for a period of time. I don't prescribe myself, but I would have a discussion with the person about the implications of that or as a possible way to go. Um, or maybe work with them if they're, if they're very cognitively oriented, maybe work with them more at a cognitive behavioral level for a period of time. I see these as, as often footholds uh, or, or, or way stations on, on the way to being able to deepen their exploration of their struggle. Because often what is pre the presenting problem, for example, I had a patient whose presenting problem was a lack of assertiveness with her boss, okay. asking for more of, of a raise. And, uh, but after working with her sort of at that level for a period of time, but also kind of testing the water for deeper exploration, like noticing some things as she's talking about, you know, maybe what would be rational as opposed to catastrophizing, which is a typical cognitive intervention. Right. So as she's speaking, I might say, you know, I noticed your voice trailed off when you said that. I wonder what's going on for you right now. Or I wonder what you're feeling as you say that. Um, or I noticed your body seemed to shrink, you know, you got smaller. I felt like a tightness in my stomach when you said that. I might take a little risk, again, as appropriate, to see if the person can begin to move into what we call an experiential level of contact, which is relatively pre-verbal and kinesthetic or embodied. And it's not so, it moves from a place of talking about the issue to experiencing it more or less. And so as the person's able to experience their struggle more with their whole body uh, ex experience, uh, they're moving more and more toward what I view, at least for many people, as fundamental healing, because they're able to reoccupy both literally and figuratively the parts of, their, of themselves that they've blocked off for various reasons of fear. Well, you've mentioned a couple of times um, the word body along in, this, in the same sentence as mind. And, yes. you know, that's a huge issue. I mean, a somatic therapist or a therapy like you're doing, that's not really an issue. In mainstream medicine right now, if we can't find some structural problem, it must be psychological. 
And I don't, I don't use the word mind-body so much anymore because it's just a unit. I mean, your whole body is responding to us yeah. in a way to survive mentally yeah. or physically. So it sounds like you're getting people connected to both their mind and their body and vice versa. Yes, yes. And I, I see it holistically as well. I mean, they're, they're inextricably interconnected. Right. And so I, I, I didn't mention a realm that I feel can be a very powerful benefit of this deeper work, which is cultivating a sense of awe toward living. The more that one can develop an inner freedom to range within and without, um, the more that one is able to be with one's vulnerable, fragile, sort of small uh, sense of self before the vastness of existence, right. as well as one's capacity to transcend that, to take risks, to right. venture out, to be curious, and to feel one's participation in something much greater than oneself. Right. And this can have an effect of lifting one out of the so often disabling narrow identifications we get stuck in, and especially very critical identifications that we're, we're this or that, we're terrible people, we're not worthy, et, et cetera. And um, it, it really can open one's world on a number of levels, relationally, creatively. And so you know, it's, this is really interesting to me because this you're actually phrasing, I think, a little bit more clearly than I have is that, you know, the ultimate answer to chronic pain is perspective, awe, spiritual journey, play, giving back, good food, good wine, good friends. Because it not only moves you away from the pain circuits, it creates a profound shift in your body's chemistry. So you have safety physiology versus threat physiology. Yes. Safety physiology actually replenishing fuel supplies, nerve conduction slows, you're using calming neurotransmitters instead of excitatory ones. I mean, your whole body completely changes in safety physiology as opposed to threat physiology. But I want to connect that statement back a little bit what you said earlier is that we discussed between podcasts that, you know, anxiety is a gift. It's how we evolved. It's how we stay alive. We wouldn't survive more than, you know, two minutes without anxiety because we wouldn't even breathe. I mean, physically, mm -hmm. we, we get to survive. Then humans have this problem called consciousness. So in the animal kingdom, there's no reward for being vulnerable because you just don't survive. Same thing in the human world, there's, a, there's not a, re, a lot of rewards of being physically vulnerable because again, you may not survive. But emotionally, those circuits are processed in the same way as physical pain. And so being emotionally vulnerable means you have to allow yourself to be hurt. And we don't like that either. So we have a huge paradox that there's not a lot of reward yeah. for being vulnerable physically or emotionally. Yet being vulnerable is the essence of human relationships. Exactly. So that's in. I like the way you reframed anxiety. Is that it is still the way? Okay, I have a problem. I can react to it and butt my head against it. So it created anxiety, or do I use it as a way of generating curiosity? Did I get that concept correct? Yeah, yeah. That's that's basically what I'm saying. I'm I'm talking about. Uh, a capacity to experience life more as an adventure. Right. 
rather than uh, just a you know a burden or a routine uh, or it, anticipating the same old same old but being able to live on that edge of again of, of wonder and discovery uh, versus some kind of rigid expectation which i'm sure increases our pain uh, sensations uh, if if we're stuck in well it really anticipating yeah uh, no you're absolutely we're right. stuck <laughs> well rigidity is a way of suppressing in other words the as you know with the major psychologists in the world and psychiatrists is that you know the key to mental health is mental flexibility and resilience right and we have rigidity it actually blocks unpleasant thought patterns but your body's firing up you're, in other words, you're repressing thoughts and emotion by maintaining this rigid structure. And we know there's quite a bit of rigidity in the world today right now, which is causing lots of troubles for lots of different people. So with existential work, like you're talking about, it's the opposite energy of shutting down, you're opening up. But there's it's a transition that's challenging for a lot of people because it's opening up completely changes everything, physiologically, neural circuits and everything. So that's why I'm really curious about this concept of existential psychology, which I honestly have not been that, that exposed to before. So again, I, I think we're saying the same thing. Am I correct? I, I think so. I mean, it, it, it's an opening up that, that encompasses a degree of, as we were saying before, vulnerability and pain. Right. Right. It's a different uh, level of anxiety. It's 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 a more of an invigorating level of anxiety. Right. Rather than a, a daunting and, and, and overimposing. Right. Level. But dare I say that you have this invigorating anxiety that allows you to be curious and move forward. Yes. But if you suppress it, it actually becomes sort of a monster. Yes. Yes. Right. If you're fighting it. Right. Constantly shoving it under the rug then it often builds a charge that becomes more and more uh, problematic. I mean, it can, it can kind of do one of two things. It can uh, just lie there as a continual threat and create a very superficial and cosmetic life where you're living in a very narrow band and not taking or taking very few risks. Right just living very routine me mechanical kind of existence right or it can build up to the point where it breaks out right scares the living shit out of somebody right and, and um, creates what we call reaction formations against that defenses that take the person in the total opposite direction of the anxiety because they're doing everything they can to avoid any hint Right. Of vulnerability and anxiety. Right. Because it's so overwhelming. So they might become tyrannical. They might become extremely, um, uh, you know, hateful toward other people or uh, grandiose, could be part of that defensive maneuver. Um, they, they could become very destructive. Uh, physically, emotionally, to avoid that anxiety. You're seeing it a little bit more eloquently than I do, but as you develop a working relationship with anxiety, you get to move your life forward. If you yes. fight 
it's like a Chinese figure trap. It keeps trapping you, trapping you, trapping you. Yes. And pretty soon the creativity disappears, everything disappears. So I think I told you one of my missions in life is actually letting the world know that the doctor, a safe doctor patient relationship is not an option. It's the basic core healing modality. So if yeah. I heard you correctly earlier, the number one thing you get to do is actually get to know your patient. Yes, you're, you're creating a holding environment. Right. So the analysts talk about it. I think beautifully it's, yeah, it's, it's again, creating that sense of safety, of support that en enables the, the small child within us to feel uh, much more okay. I, I don't know if you're familiar with those still face experiments with small Oh yeah, people. absolutely. Yeah. I think those are such powerful illustrations of what I'm talking about. How you, rapidly. Can you explain that real quickly to the audience? Yeah, uh, David Tronick uh, did, did these series of experiments, uh, very innovative, challenging, with uh, mothers generally, where he would have the, the mother in, in the control condition just be normally responsive to the infant. You know, it could be one-year-old. They've actually done it as early as two hours after birth. Mm -hmm. I've read, but the mother is just naturally responsive, mirroring of the child, even reveling in that child's, uh, you know, existence. And and then the experimental condition is uh, asking or instructing the mother to suddenly go deadpan, have a, a poker face, become totally indifferent in her contact with that child. And what we see is how rapidly those babies decompensate. They start getting agitated. They start looking away. Uh, they, they get rageful. Uh, they're, they're floundering. I mean, literally, I think what you're seeing is some kind of replication of the terrifying element of the birth experience, the shock of that without any mooring, without any hold. And so that's where the holding environment is so primal and, and, and pain is so primal. I think right. part of what we're talking about, the, part of the reason that people are, are having such difficulty with anxiety today is because I think they're not realizing how primal it is. Right. And we have so many devices and ways of giving them the illusion that they don't have anxiety. Right that um, they're not really prepared when it's evident. You know? Right. So I'd like to, let me just try to summarize and have you probably correct me in this, is that the essence, one way you approach from existential psychology is you know, feeling safe is really critical is the real healing occurs as you reach outwards and upwards to a different life of perspective, awe, spiritual journey, et cetera, which is moving away from the pain circuits not spending time trying to fix the pain circuits, which inadvertently actually reinforces them. So uh -huh. the work that I, again, took me a lot of time to figure this out is that, you know, why keep finding darkness when we can just turn on the light? And so, you know, but you can't do that unless you feel safe in the light. Yes. And so did I summarize that reasonably well? Yes, that's good. Yeah, or similar to a basement, dark basement analogy. Okay. So at first, you're threatened by the objects there. You don't know what's poking, what, what you're running into. 
But then as your eyes gradually habituate to the light, you begin to see objects that you formerly thought were threatening, but oh, maybe this is something I could use. Oh, this is interesting. I like that. This is sparking something creative for me or playful. Yeah. Love it. That's fantastic. So um, this is Dr. Kirk, K-I-R-K Schneider, and his book is Life Enhancing Anxiety. You can find it on Amazon. And I didn't get a chance. He's written 13 additional books. And so mm-hmm. I'm very impressed with it. But I, I love his approach. And he gave us some great feedback of his journey in the first podcast and some insights into, into what he does now. But um, anyway, Kirk, thank you very, very much for being on the podcast today. It was wonderful. Oh, thank you very much, David. I, I deeply appreciated our exchange. And I think we, we made some headway in illuminating this uh, really important area. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Kirk Schneider, for being on the show today and for sharing the principles and process of his integrative existential approach to psychotherapy. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.